Hello and welcome to our 20th monthly Spool.ie podcast with him, Porik. Hello. And me, Nigel. This month we're doing another round of Watch with Spool. We're looking back on two classic films that typify summer. Uh, Richard Linklater's 1993 film, Days and Confused, and then Do the Right Thing from 1989. 1989, yeah. Which uh, is celebrating its quarter century this year. We'll also be doing our usual thing of previews and reviews as we look back on Richard Linklater's Boyhood, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and Joe, and then we review Guardians of the Galaxy, which hits cinemas on Friday. Anyway, let's kick off with some Aerosmith. Uh, so there we heard Aerosmith, which is one of the signature roles, I suppose, in Days Confused, was the amount of amazing music they had it. So as Nigel says, it's, it was filmed in 1993, but it's set in 1976 in a small high school in Texas, where Richard Linklater is from. And it's kind of like last day of school, it's all set over the one day, which actually ties in with Do the Right Thing, which is all set over the one day. Yeah. So. Who knows? Maybe you put a bit of thought into these two films. But anyway. uh, so it's the last day of school. We have the freshmen who are going to be coming up into high school. And the seniors who have one year left. And there's a thing that goes on in many American schools called hazing. So that's kind of the start of the film where it's, we see all the seniors making their paddles to go around and catch the juniors and kind of beat the shit out of them and everything so it's Jason London who plays Randall he's like kind of the starting star quarterback with his gang of friends and then he once the he is one of the younger guys um, who's played by Mitch uh, Wiley Wiggins they kind of then take him under his wing and show him the ropes and we have a similar storyline with some of the girls and it's just kind of going through the general end of high school stuff and you have the footballer coming of age. Does he oh, want to go down the football stuff. road or does yeah. he want to become a stoner? Because he's kind of, he traverses the two worlds. Like he hangs out with a load of stoners and then he does his football stuff as well. It's a dream for us all, isn't it? You yeah. With the cool kids, but covering yourself to get into college or something. Um, who is, is that? The guy who played Pink. What was his name? Jason London? Jason London. Where did he go? Nowhere really. But the funny thing is when I was watching it, because I hadn't seen it in a while, he looks like the guy I thought it was like oh that's the guy from Mallrats he must have done Mallrats but it's not him it's his twin brother uh, who is Jeremy London right so he was in Mallrats there's also another twin couple you know the red-headed girl in it who drives the two nerds around yes that's um, Marissa Rabisi who is Giovanni Rabisi's twin sister Giovanni Rabisi from Friends and everything else yeah, yeah. what's his signature yeah hard to know uh, yeah I am um, Private Ryan I was trying to remember I guess so um, I was trying to remember if I'd seen... This is one of those things where you're like, oh yeah, I kind of know that, but I couldn't remember sitting down watching the whole thing before. Um, so I was happy to do that uh, there last week. And um, yeah, it's good. It doesn't necessarily feel like it's in the 70s. Like It feels like it's made in the early 90s, which I know that's not a yeah a thing. Like it, 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 But if you think it generationally, it was 17 years from 1976 to 1993, and then we've since come, what, 22, 21 more years. Yeah. Um, do my maths the big thing was that it was McConaughey, Matthew McConaughey's first role and his signature phrase, which we'll hear a clip of now. Yeah, let's give a bit of a clip yeah. from that. This, uh, James Kenny uh, contacted us on Facebook. We, we got uh, everyone kind of shout in with their, their highlights from the film and everything. So he picked out this uh, little moment in this quote. So uh, have a listen. 
So there, that was future Oscar winner, Matthew McConaughey. Um, it was good. I, I didn't know Ben Affleck. I couldn't remember that Ben Affleck Yeah, was I kind of forgot he was in it. And he Batman seems ben. to be an awful dick. You know, yeah. he was kind of a douche. And he plays the same character in Mallrats. There's those a crossover kind of actors who are in these these suit same films. Yeah. Then he then he grew the beard and it all kind of got better. But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, really, really good. Uh, I think. Where? What would you do? Would, do? You give it a star rating? I don't know. Does it hold up? I don't know. I think so. It's not one that I return to that often. Like loads of our friends, like Anne Marie, sent us a big email, kind of having some points about it. And yeah, she wrote a lovely thing. Actually, I have it written, printed out here that. Uh, I think it perfectly captures that feeling you have when you're 15 that your whole life um, is you, your friends and all the music you love and you just want to spend all your time hanging out avoiding the responsibilities of adulthood. Yeah. It's... I'd go back to other teen movies quicker like The Breakfast Club and stuff like that even yeah. Fast Times at Regiment High. There is some... It's more of a college buzz. Like it does have that stoner thing. I don't yeah. Think like ever, I don't think we ever watched it in college. It wasn't that for us but you can see how it took yeah. on because I was looking at the box office it did nothing in the cinema but then... Um, over the years, like late 90s, it suddenly took on a whole new life of its own. Once a bit of nostalgia kind of around the same time around that Almost Famous was probably taking off as well. That sort of... Yeah. I wonder when that 70s show started. Because when I was watching, I was like, oh, the guys must have watched this and decided, let's make a TV Just show. Make, yeah, that'd be... I'd say mid- it was a good while later. It was probably early 2000s, maybe. No, I'd say that that was... Uh, we asked Magic of the Internet... Uh, 1998 so yeah that would have been around that time and that's when it suddenly started getting talked about as a a classic and yeah or like even like a freaks and geeks precursor kind of thing as well you know geeks i think was 2000 wasn't it which Um, was to me yeah like i'd sooner watch freaks and geeks than kind of go and watch this again yeah uh yeah it's kind of bit in it's even though it tackles all those things with like the football player and blah 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 it does seem a bit cliched kind of even at that point yeah impressive uh link later had written and directed uh, slackers two years beforehand but i don't think that had done as well as this and this kind of sent him on that upward sort of trajectory um which is good we have another comment as well that uh from caroline cawley on our facebook page she she writes uh, di- uh, spanning one day it has that feeling of meeting people who are to become best friends for the first time characters unfold effortlessly and naturally all likable in their own way so well written so well acted and unsurprising that almost all of the actors went on to bigger and better things so yeah yeah, 
very definitely watch it if you've never seen it and you're looking for one to watch but it wouldn't be my favorite yeah. kind of teen coming of age yeah so little also happens in it in a weird way like as a narrative thing the fact he goes for the one night thing and at the end you're like oh cool they're gone for the aerosmith tickets um yeah that's and cool. i think that's what we were all kind of building for like i know bigger picture they've all grown a bit but uh i think it's charm is in that i suppose it's, it's like again that snapshot. classic thing is like it's all just leading up to a party yeah, and then that seems actually pretty funny when the party gets cancelled. It gets busted by the keg guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it also did get me thinking because all this was happening while all that Garth Brooks shite was going on and refunds for tickets and everything. Um, that it's way cooler that people actually had to go and score tickets and go and find them and yeah, and go to the Ticketmaster in Drada instead of you know yeah. going online. Absolutely. So I had that weird nostalgic kind of thing. So, um, yeah, excellent. So the other one that we looked at for this watch with spool thing is a film that's celebrating its uh, 25th anniversary this year. Uh, Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. So uh, we'll take a clip from the beginning of this anyway. Uh, Yeah. Can I talk to you for a second? What? Tina, who's your favorite basketball player? Magic Johnson. Who's your favorite movie star? Eddie Murphy. Who's your favorite rock star? Prince. You're a Prince Morris. Bruce. Prince. Bruce. Tina, all you ever talk about is nigga this and nigga that. And all your favorite people are so-called niggas. It's different. Magic, Eddie, Prince are not niggas. I mean, they're not black. I mean, let me explain myself. They're they're not really black. I mean, they're black, but they're not really black. They're, they're more than black. It's, it's, it's different. It's different? Yeah, to me, it's, it's different. You know, deep down inside, I think you wish you were black. Get the fuck out of here. Laugh if you want to. You know, your hair is kinkier than mine. What does that mean? And you know what they say about dark Italians? You know, I've been listening and reading. You've been reading now? I read. I've been reading about your leaders. Reverend Al, Mr. Do, Sharp Tone, Jesse. Keep hope alive. That's fucked up. Keep hope alive. Hey, that's fucked. Don't talk about Jesse. And uh, even uh, the other guy, what's his name? Uh, Farrakhan. Farrakhan. Minister Farrakhan. Sorry. Minister Farrakhan. Anyway, Minister Farrakhan always talks about the so-called day when, when the black man will rise. We will one day, what does he say? We will one day rule the earth as we did in, in our glorious past. Yeah, that's right. What past are you talking about? I mean, what, what did I miss? We started civilization. Man, keep dreaming, man. Then you woke up. Pino, fuck you, fuck your fucking pizza, and fuck Frank Sinatra. Yeah, well, fuck you too, and fuck Michael Jackson. Yeah, so that was it. Who's your favorite rock star? Bruce! Jack White. <laughs> um, he's white, so we can draw our own uh, things from that. Uh, yeah, I'd never seen Do the Right Thing before. It's one of those things that always comes up on those lists. Um, didn't quite realize just how critically acclaimed it is. It was an Oscar winner for the best original screenplay in 1990. And uh, Roger Ebert and uh, Gene Siskel, they named it uh, joint as their best film of 1989. It was nominated for the Palme d'Or all of this kind of stuff. So, um, really is, and it's it's was one of the first films to be brought into that. You know the way they archive films. The na- what's it in America? The National Library of Congress yeah. thing. And it's always a bit of a fuss where it's like ET goes into this vault or whatever, and you're like, oh cool. But no room for Citizen Kane. Yeah, you're like, well, you know, digitally they could just put every film in there at the on stage, a USB. But, yeah. 
Um, what I loved about it was the direction. It's like yeah. you go. I didn't get to summarize it yet. Sorry, you may not know. I've okay. written out a paragraph here. Okay. Uh, it's mostly in italic. Better be good. In inverted commas, because I took it from uh, the magical world of Wikipedia. So, uh, Do the Right Thing tells the story of a Brooklyn neighborhood's simmering racial tension, which comes to a head and culminates in tragedy on the hottest day of the summer. So, uh, as you say, directed by Spike Lee, who is also in the film. Um, he's a pizza de- delivery man in this Brooklyn neighborhood working for Sal's Pizza, and that's run by an Italian-American family. And, yeah, things... He plays Mookie, which I was kind of like, it's a funny name. Yeah. I wonder, is that some racial slur stereotype? Uh, The direction of it, I thought, is amazing. You can really tell it's such a, it's crazy. You were talking about it, where it'll be front on. Then it's like someone dropped the camera and they kept shooting. But it's, and it's all over the place. It's, I don't know if there's maybe, there's maybe about 10 lines of dialogue that aren't shouted. Yeah. Everybody shouts at everybody yeah, that else. Film, that's, that uh, scene that we played the clip of was one of the few bits where everything is pretty chill. Talking, it's everyone screaming at each other and getting in your face. And oh, it captures it brilliant. It's kind of like, it's very much like a play. And it was reminds me of like a streetcar named Desire. Yeah. I believe it has been put on stage or they've done that. Ah, it, brilliant. Think, um, which would make sense. There's kind of loads. Of, there was three. I was kind of looking up some bits and pieces about it. The three black dudes who were sitting on the corner just kind of talking. The middle guy reminded me of Bernie Mac. Yeah. And I actually thought it was him, but it wasn't. The guy who played um, Sweet Dick Willie. Robin Harris, he died the next year after filming it at 36. He had a massive heart attack. Apparently Sweet. he was going to go on to be a big thing, but yeah. Right. Um, yeah, quite a lot, quite a good cast. I didn't know. Um, like Martin Lawrence was in there and uh, lots of people like that. Did you recognize never... Vito? Uh, you know Sal has two sons one yeah. of them is John Turturro yeah. the other guy's Vito he's right. the mechanic from Ferris Bueller's Day Off very good big time and it was Martin Lawrence's first film I was like oh look you actually were in a decent film once yeah who knew who I knew? didn't really get the simple character Smiley Um. yeah what I think he was just shown that uh, you could have sympathisers on both sides and that um it does cover all he, angles. He ends up very... having the, he has the best moment at the end when, like, after the thing, of course, if you've seen Do the Right Thing, you know, the the, the whole thing culminates in some, in a riot and a tragedy in a, in a way where everything just comes to a head because it's so, like, tense for the whole thing. And um, the question being then, Mookie is involved in that and you're like, well, did he do the right thing? Mm-hmm. As you say, it's obvious, but I, I read a bit about it and um, the question was then, they were like, well, yeah, he did because otherwise they were going to go and lynch Sal. So like at least when he said, no, let's kind of focus and we'll kind of focus stuff on the pizzeria, then yeah. Sal gets away. So that's one reading of it. Malcolm X speech, that quote, do the right thing. Mm. That's where it's coming from. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's really And the two quotes then that wrap up at the end where one of them is like, violence is cool. And the other is like don't do violence so yeah uh, yeah uh, our friend Anne-Marie also contacted us um, about this one and said um, perfectly pitched to evoke the feeling of claustrophobia and unrest caused by the unbearable heat although from what I remember there's a few light moments there's this feeling throughout that something bad is going to happen the little instances of racism throughout the film little niggles that things aren't alright as it builds and builds until at the end the payoff is a big climax of pent up violence resentment and anger yeah, there was a thing I noted that um, Spike Lee did it in his film, 25th Hour. It was like his post-9-11 film where Ed Norton goes in this kind of 
big rant. It's like a racial diatribe against all the different ethnic um, minorities in New York. He kind of insults them all and every racial jibe uh, he can muster. And it's kind of, you see this, I don't know if he did it in any films before this, but it's a similar thing where the camera zooms up at him just standing in the middle of the street. Spike Lee does it about the Italians. Then it cuts into the Italian restaurant and John Tertorio was doing it about uh, black people. Then it goes to like the Puerto Ricans and they're giving out about the Asians and then it goes to the Asians who are doing it. So it's kind of, you could see, it's obviously the start of his kind of directional style and his motifs that he wants to create into it. True. Um, yeah, it was his fourth film. I had to check that out there. Yeah, some video it. shorts in there, I think, maybe. Uh, he also did a film called She's Gotta Have It in 1986, which um, sounds like it would have been... Isn't there another film, She's Gotta Have It? Some late the star credits are very strange. I can't remember the name of his girlfriend, who plays as, uh, the mother of his kid. But there's this weird... You know the way in the star credits, she's doing this boxing thing, and she's just... Yeah. It's basically like a music video on a set. Yeah, I thought it, I thought that was like the, the theme music and intro for like the Cosby show or something. Yeah. There is... Did you feel a bit of the Cosby show, kind of the bouncy, like the language and the jibes? Like the Cosby show would be more like a really watered down... Period, maybe, yeah. yeah, like the yeah. early, late 80s, early 90s in America. But yeah. that was partly a tribute to Bye Bye Birdie, the opening scene from the 50s. There's a similar kind of dance thing at the start. Oh. So. And uh, you didn't watch Breaking Bad? No. no. Um, Giancarlo Esposito uh, plays uh, the, guy, the guy with the crazy stuff chopped out. But he's bugging, bugging out or boogie or something, I think. Oh, The guy okay. who is Kicks the main all perpetrator of, yeah. all the, of all the protests and everything. Because it's all to do with this wall of fame. Yeah. Anyway. Excellent. Rosie Perez. Sorry, was Tina's name. Cool. Right, we'll finish up with a bit of Public Enemy, which is the whole theme from the whole film. So, fight the power. Yeah. yeah. Beatboxes, they were gas, weren't they? Yeah, I'm always like, what about the batteries? How 20 can, batteries how we can had to buy. How afford batteries? D batteries. Yeah, crazy. We got to fight the power, baby! Fight the power! Fight the power! Fight the power! Fight the power! Okay, that was Public Enemy. We chatted a bit about Richard Linklater there. Uh, he brought a film out just last month, which he's taken about 12 years to make. Uh, Boyhood, we'll take a clip from it now, if you like. Talk to me. Samantha, how was your week? Uh, I don't know, Dad, it was kind of tough. Billy and Ellen broke up, and Ellen's kind of mad at me because she saw me talking to Billy in the cafeteria. And you remember that sculpture I was working on? Well, it was a unicorn, and the horn broke off, so now it's a zebra, okay? But I still think I'm going to get an egg. Right? Mason, uh, how was your week? Well, Dad, you know I was kind of tough. Joey's kind of a jerk. Actually, he stole some cigarettes from his mom. He wanted me to smoke them. But I said no, because I knew what a hard time you had quitting smoking, Dad. How about that? Is that so hard? Dad, these questions are kind of hard to answer. What is so hard to answer about what sculpture are you making? It's abstract. Okay, okay, that's good. See, that's, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't know you were even interested in abstract art. I'm not. They make us do it. But, Dad, I mean, why is it all on us, though? You know, what about you? How was your week? You know, who do you hang out with? Do you have a girlfriend? What have you been up to? I see your point. So we should just let it happen more naturally, right? That's what you're saying. Okay, that's what we'll do. Starting now. Cool. There we go. Um... Our, uh, one of our listeners and uh, friends column says this film was very like Party of Five, but in a, um, in a one feature, sitting. In yeah. one sitting. So uh, that was an interesting one. Um, 
Yeah, so uh, it was twelve year, the film was 12 years in the making, featuring the same cast who reunited once a year to make a new short film, and then all these were compiled together to give us a two-hour, 46-minute uh, story of Mason, a young Texas boy who we first meet as a six-year-old and then finish up with him at 18 um, when he dies of cancer. Spoiler. Spoiler. Imagine. Yeah. I wondered how he was going to wrap it up. I was like, wouldn't it be pretty cool if he died? Yeah. Like pretty, but not in keeping because nothing bad actually happens in a divorce is tough and like it's, you know, family problems like that are tough. But yeah. uh, no one actually dies, do we? No. No grandparents. There's no grandparents or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. So, um, Elar, uh, what is it? Elar Coltrane, isn't it? Was the, plays uh, the guy. I don't know if he's a relation to John Coltrane. Um, and I'd Ethan be Hawk very surprised. And Patricia Arquette, <laughs> he could it might be play the mum and dad, and then Richard Linklater's daughter, Lorelai uh, Linklater, um, is his sister. Mm-hmm. Uh, For so. the two, the guts of three hours, it is a very engaging film. Like you're never bored. It is very interesting, but uh, and I think it's just our nature to be like, oh, what's going on there? Like it's a, it's it is a good story. It does feel at times like a documentary. Where you're just kind of touching back in. I like the way it didn't... Like, at no point did it go two years later. It was always just like, oh, he's visibly growing, so we're yeah. in a different time period. And now. I read a thing where someone asked him, were you tempted to do a nice little montage or a couple of shots at the end just to kind of, you know, like a music video thing? He's like, no, like the where it just wouldn't have worked. But that would have been what a lot of directors would have done, where even just a, a shot... Of totally would have broke six. the illusion of, like, here we are following this. And then you're like, oh, yeah, it's a movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, the more I think about it, it's... I don't know, I'm just worried that in like four or five years time when people talk about it, all they're going to say is like, oh yeah, that was that film where it had the same kid for 12 years, you know? Like to me, the characters, the supporting characters are much more interesting. Like his mother, I thought it was a really big film for mums because it's that whole thing of like the raising the children. She's a single mom, so she has it more, uh, a more stronger kind of feeling of this where like she's constantly being left yeah, I, alone and like because the, the kids she, go out and they have to like go yeah, to college and everything two husbands and loses the first but she's kind of keep the whole show running and then when she's done her job it's just like everyone's like yep yeah, see you bye now and thanks she has a bit of a breakdown yeah I loved her I loved the bit of her teaching at the end like because we've grown with her all along from when when she was starting what did she do at the beginning nothing uh, what was she what was her job we don't, do we know no it was just like because she's that guy turns up and then they have the row and she's like I'm going back to school yeah because she's moving back to be closer to her mum yeah let's say she's a waitress um sexist yeah no I can't remember um anyway you see her growth the whole way at the end where she's commanding this whole class and they love her like her class really idolise her and are mm-hmm. engaged by her and she's telling this lovely story which is about the um it's a, it, it, you know about families sort of staying together or something yeah. in the class wasn't it I can't remember the specifics but uh, so and Ethan Hawke as the dad is brilliant he's a good dad like because he's doing that you know only sees the kids every two weeks kind yeah, of thing yeah as we saw in that clip where he's like you know I don't want to be that kind of dad I want to actually be mm. engaged you got to tell me stuff so it has really great points into it and everything but I just wasn't blown away as everybody was like directionally I don't think it's an amazing he did a thing like it. Do- when I describe it to people they're like oh you mean a close up but it was different to that. It was like a, a pan from across the room. But he did it about 10 times and it really stuck out. But it, it didn't seem to have any purpose. It was just like, oh, look, it was really distracting and annoying. And there was no like amazing shots. That's why when I was watching Do the Right Thing, I was like, oh, this is really unique. And 
Yeah, trying so well, different, yeah, like a I style. Think, like, Linklater's thing has always been to just like uh, the one, the few where I thought he was at his best is just where he leaves people to talk. Yeah, and you get the sense that he's that kind of director where he doesn't do anything too uh-huh. showy and his. And a big part of whether you will, I think, adore the film is if you can relate to the kid, or if you like the kid. Mm-hmm. Like I find the kid a bit annoying at times, and I was just like, oh yeah, would you stop mumbling and just kind of cop on a bit? He's very but I emo. That's yeah, he's a bit too emo. Yeah, but he's in that very like thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. But he's even an emo kind of kid when he's eight or nine. He's also quiet, and they're like, "Why don't you talk more?" You know. Yeah. So it's just I think what why it is so unique is that we all know how challenging it is to do any kind of a project over the course of a couple of months. So how the hell do you check back in on something every year? Yeah, and like just logistically getting people back. Yeah. And what if some of them had passed away or something? You just write them out of it, and yeah. Oh, it was six years. We had them for six years. Mm. Speaking of um, people dying during the film, we talk about Joe next? No? Sure. Didn't he die? Yeah. Cool. Okay, so uh, we're going to talk about Joe now. Um, it's the new film directed by David, or Daniel, Gordon Green. Um, he directed Prince Avalanche, which came out last year, or was it the start of this year? That was uh, last year. And he also directed Pineapple Express. So it stars Nicolas Cage and Ty Sheridan. Nicolas Cage is this guy called Joe. And he has a business, which is kind of cool, where they go around... Well, no, it's kind of bad. They go around poisoning trees because it's illegal to cut down a perfectly normal tree. But he has a company where they go in and poison the tree. And then the other people who want to clear the trees are like, Oh, well, look, these trees are all dead. We can get rid of them now. And they wipe it out to put down more bigger spice... uh, they replant them and yeah. get better trees. Like yeah, higher, for, I don't know, tables and stuff. Well, I presume with the, maybe they send, they, the dead trees are sent away as lumber. They can be sold. Then, yeah. But. So that's his job. And the terrifying axe, the, the poison axe. And he's just like, oh, they, don't get any poison in your eye. And he's like, none of them are wearing goggles. <laughs> no. Uh, they were all uh, non-professional actors and everything. You could kind of tell. It was yeah, but it, nice they carried it off well. It was very good. Yeah. So he owns this business and Ty Sheridan is kind of like a he's kind of like a bit of a redneck purr he's a really good kid who wants to work hard his dad is an absolute waste alcoholic beats him up all the time they've just come into town and he needs to get a job so he goes to joe and asks for a job and they kind of form this bond and we kind of realize that joe is a bit of an alcoholic himself and he seems to have a lot bubbling up underneath him and we start to begin to learn a bit about his past and his uh violence so we're here we're going to take a clip of ty sheridan and nicholas cage having a chat don't touch me i should have given you a boxing lesson i don't need no goddamn boxing lesson i know what to do i'll pop him right in the eye he whooped my ass and threw me out the truck because he knew that we're gonna kill him. i could kill his ass I could kill him just as good as you could. I know you could. I know you could. I know it. But you don't have to do that. Okay, son. Just stay here with me. You'll be safe here. I'll bring your mama and your sister. He got Dorothy. He didn't run off with her. He meant it wasn't bad men. I heard him talking about it. That man with a scarred up face. The one that I beat down by the bridge. He been looking for me for what I done did to him. Sure hurt nobody, Joe. 
should be me. You saw it too. What did you make of it? Um, yeah, very dark. I uh, kind of I reviewed it for a website, Spool.ie, and okay. um, gave it three and a half. Mm. But uh, incredibly grim and a heavy thing to kind of t- just get your head around. Like, it's really... It's really kind of of the moment, that film or something. It feels like we had True Detectives in the TV. Yeah, and, and we mud had mud. last year. This kind of gr- sweaty southern... Like and places of poverty, like real poverty, and everything, yeah, you know, so. which you kind of always forget when you're thinking of America. You know, you just picture the cities and the skyscrapers, but yeah, there's a huge, big, big massive chunk of poverty it in the middle where no one has reminded you a bit of Winter's Bone as well. Kind of that really, all the color kind of drained from it and gritty, and it's mm. it's hard watching at times. Like so, like you were making the point, the dogs, it like the way I do the right thing. You felt really oppressed with the heat and the claustrophobia. Here with those barking dogs constantly, it was just getting you riled up and you were constantly aware that there was something about to yeah. happen or kick off. You were always a bit yeah, uneasy. Killer, killer, killer dogs. Do you read the thing about the, uh, what's his name, Gary's dad then in it, where in real life he he died. This is the thing. I because think he was it, a real life homeless person. Yeah, this film person. got a very low key kind of a release. Like it came out maybe in January um, in America on like streaming services and everything and I think one of the reasons behind this is because because uh, it's got massively positive critical reviews and everything it's got Nicolas Cage and you know and all that so it should have been an easy one to market but Gary Poulter who plays uh, the the alcoholic uh, G-Dog G-Dog yeah is that his name? that's what it says comes up as on IMDb yeah. alright um, anyway, he was an actual alcoholic homeless man who was given the job. So he died um, a little bit after the film uh, came out and everyone then, there was a bit of a debate over whether he was fit to actually handle being in a film. Because apparently he cleaned up and wasn't, you know, was able to act in it. Because he used to go to dark places that were probably yeah, a part of his life. That scene of him beating up the guy by the river. That's um, pretty horrific. Not beating up, sorry, killing the guy by yeah. the river is horrible like because it's, so, it's so long and drawn out and you're you, you kind of know what's going yeah on, the director gives you a wee glimpse he's like oh look there's a thing in the dirt that's what he's gonna hit him with mm. yeah so um so right. anyway that's what happened so that was an interesting real life tragic story that kind of followed it but again um nicholas cage very very good yeah i love nicholas cage i think he's one of the most interesting he always he clearly just doesn't give a shit and was like yeah i'll do this because um, he does the yeah, absolute nonsense. There's, he's in some film that's coming out, or maybe just came out called The Rage, where it's basically just him going nuts. I think for like an hour and a half. Mm. You do, yeah, you do question like there's all sorts of stories about what kind of contracts he's on, where he just literally has to keep making films like in as some sort of a debt because of his. I don't know, Did you hear about the? Or... Wasn't he involved in that Superman comics thing? Where because he's a mad Superman fan, mm. there was actually thoughts that he was going to play it at one point. And somebody either stole, he had an issue one, whatever it was, uh, adventure, action adventures or something. He had an issue one of it and someone either stole it off him and then tried to sell it back to him or someone approached him to, to, to buy one and there was a whole big sting operation. So there you go. Bit of trivia for you. Very good. Uh, we had a clip from that. Cool. He doesn't um, go too crazy in it though, like proper Nicholas Cage crazy it's more yeah, like there's angry. only one scene where they're going looking for the dog where he kind of lets loose and, and has a bit of a crazy eyes and you know he's kind of letting loose yeah uh, sort of cutting back a little bit and having a drink and that was a lovely scene I thought but uh, yeah I enjoyed that Nicholas. a lot of drink driving yeah and everything we were like dazed and confused as well I was like everyone's just high and drunk 
Mm. You know? How did they, nobody get arrested or, like, sent to jail? Actually, there's no one really on the roads, you know? Yeah. <laughs> or something. Uh, anyway, um, I suppose a quick chat. Uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. No, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. I kept getting confused. Dawn, Dawn of, of the, the Rise of the, of the Continuation. Yeah. Number 10 of Saw the this. Planet Trilogy, perhaps? Oh, I don't know. Um, yeah, but it was it was good. We saw it a little while ago. It feels like it was out a while ago now, because it's kind of about two weeks, so... I yeah. Don't know. So fickle. Came and went. Yeah. I know, it's very impressive. So it's ten years since the first one. It stuck with me a lot, though, in that two weeks. I haven't thought about it much. I was like, oh, very technically impressive and everything like that, but I'm not dwelling much on the plight of the... Monkeys. Fictional monkeys. Yeah. In a fictional world. Yeah. That's mad. Yeah. So it's set ten years after um, some crazy scientists created a flu... That wiped out half the population or most of the world, but the monkeys were able to thrive in it. And the they've kind of they've kind of gone off into the woods and set up their own wee community. Um, Caesar's still their leader. Cobas is like kind of right hand man. And then we get um, what's his name? Jason Clark comes along into the woods and they're just kind of walking and they realize oh the apes are still there because the apes think all the humans are dead and the humans don't really know the apes capabilities but they're all both sides are very wary of each other and you know are afraid war is going to break out so it's really just a film of can they work together to help each other because humans need to get access to the dam that's on the apes territory and stuff like that and caesar's a bit he kind of trusts them because he remembers um from the first one that he's kind of nice and humans can be nice but then we have this ulterior thing with Koba who was like subject to scientific experiments and all this kind of jazz so he hates humans and really wants to wipe them out basically so we have this classic kind of confrontation they go to war in effect and Mm -hmm. yeah and there was a great sense there was you know next to no humans around it really is Mm -hmm. a dominant like you don't give a damn about the humans really no it's all from like the first 20 minutes yeah it's a lot of monkeys signing to each other and you're like, right, is this going to be for two Good hours, enough, two and a yeah. half hours? Great scenes in it. I think everyone who's seen it has talked about the moment when the apes are attacking humans and it's the gorilla or the ape on the tank. On the tank, yeah. And it's taken from the tank's perspective and you're just like, oh, that's brilliant. It's nice to see something a bit different. Uh, Matt Reeves was the director and he directed Cloverfield and he's been signed up to do the next one, I think. And yeah. obviously the campaign to give uh, Andy Serkis a... Oscar has already started. Yeah. A support. They could get it where he, they push for a supporting one or something, even though. Well, you get me in. Like, if you see some know, of the behind the scenes footage, They're he's too there like, the whole time. Yeah. He just happens to be wearing, like, a grey suit with loads of yeah. balls on it. Yeah, no, I know that, but I think the way the Oscars work. That oh, totally. I don't think it'll like, happen. Oh, maybe we could get a supporting thing. But um, it'd be interesting. Speaking of blockbusters, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy comes out Friday. Um, I've seen it. You haven't. Um, yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Stars Chris Pratt, bit of a man of the moment. Yeah, he had a couple of films. Parks and Recreation was in Delivery Man. Lego, Ma- Lego and movie. Lego movie and all that. So, uh, yeah, all in all, I have to admit I was a little disappointed by Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, directed by, uh, is it Steve Gunn? No, someone Gunn, I can't remember. Um, anyway, he ha- he's basically a, a nobody di- uh, director, whereby he's worked on, like, Scooby-Doo film Slither movie 43 and Super was a film from a couple of years ago which was kind of like Kick-Ass um, with the guy from The Office Slither the one with the slugs the uh, kind of B-movie horror thing yes with maybe the guy from Buffy or Angel in it as the sheriff 
Yeah, it was James Gunn, sorry. Uh, yeah, the horror thing in the bath mm. thing. So that was good. But like, yeah. that was eight years ago. So he kind of... Marvel have this thing where they just pick these random directors because really it's all Kevin Yeah, but it's not like vision. Superman. Yeah. So it's like, who even knew what Guardians of the Galaxy was? Bar 10 lads. Uh, yeah, true enough. So it's in... Um, it's part of the Marvel Universe. So obviously there's a certain amount of... Like, it has to fit in with what's happening on Earth um, a lot, but... Okay. Um, it's almost entirely off Earth, which is a novelty, and it felt a bit like a Star Trek film in a way where they're just, like, this rogue troop kind of going around having a bit of... You have humans and fun. all these... There's, like, a tree character, and it's all these yeah. different droids. and Firefly. So, really more of that kind of TV feel than um, a big movie. Um, what's its vibe? Is it going comedy or sci-fi? Very. 100% okay. comedy. Every single thing is... They can't even do anything seriously, even if they want to. Like, it's too comedy. Oh, right. Like, so, it is really funny, but you don't... It's The whole thing's like a spoof of all these things. So Sounds um, brilliant. Yeah. Where did it fall down? Well, I'll just give you, like, the fact on how smart and, like, funny it is. Um, As he's walking along, he's like... So they're they're looking for this mysterious orb thing, which Benicio del Toro was trying to buy. You might remember he was in one of the um, at the end of one of the other Marvel films that for oh yeah for these you know things and like basically he got um, Chris Pratt goes hmm, what about this orb? It's got an Ark of the Covenant Maltese Falcon kind of vibe, and it's all <laughs> just incredibly knowing and all incredibly wink wink. Like you expect every few minutes from to just turn and wink at the audience and go like it's made for people like those kind of kids of the eighties and nineties who will just click with this kind pick of thing. Pick up on so, every reference um, and stuff. Yeah, it's good. And he has this cassette tape that his mother gave him just before... Or, no, that he had in the hospital just before his mother died and before <gasps> he was kind of scooped up. And that's in the opening scene. Scooped up. But, like, so the soundtrack is all really, like, late 70s, early 80s pop. And, brilliant. Um, it is brilliant. But the joke sounds better and better. The joke gets a bit old pretty quickly, though. Um, it's It just doesn't have... It, you don't really care. Like, you have great fun with it, but you don't care a whole lot. So, it's a three and a half, three kind have of Have a film. few points it's great before fun. Maybe. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, that's the kind of way. So, um, the other thing that's cool about it um, is it's all nearly filmed on real sets, which is the thing J.J. Abrams seems to be doing that with Star Wars now. Like, he's filming in Kerry and he's filming in Iceland and all these, like, North Africa and that. Did you know that Star Wars is going to be in Kerry? No? Oh, yeah, I heard on, that. On um, Michael. You've been there. Yeah. On that so anyway, the, the people are the people are now, are now pushing back toward actually having stuff on, um, on real world sets and proper kind of backgrounds and all that. And I think that's a good way to be, you know, as we rather than just have everything green screened to death. Yeah. Um, Maybe so, we'll eventually get to a golden age of like the seventies again. Yeah, something. where it's all entirely thing in these giant films. Anyway, that's it. Um, I suppose we wrap up with the movie moments of the month. Mine is from um, a really fantastic film that came out on Friday that I don't think anyone else thinks is fantastic, but uh, the Purge Anarchy, and uh, there's a big shootout at the end of the film. This is a, a sequel to um, last year, and there's a, a bit at the end where th- what they've tried to push through the, for the whole film that the Purge is just about killing black people. And it's set up by wealthy white people, like pressurizing politicians, just comes to a head and they have this thing in like almost like a quasar arena thing. And it's, it's daft and it's, it's brilliant. So uh, you should see The Purge. I think you might actually enjoy it. Yeah, I thought the first one was interesting, mm. but didn't hold out. So this, yeah, my yeah, too. Yeah, who asked for the sequel? That's yeah. what I was thinking. I was mm. like, really? So, uh, my movie moment is from Joe, because it's most re- recent in my mind. Uh, when Nicolas Cage is telling they're looking for their dog so he's telling Ty how to do a cool face like how to do here's your cool face so he's like you have to look like you're in pain 
like really pain but like work through the pain and then smile and they saw the two of them fool around and do this. It's pretty funny. And I'm like, oh, it's basically Nicolas Cage's entire acting thing when he's trying to do a cool face. It's like, nobody has written this. He just knows this is his thing. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And he seems self-aware of it enough. Um, so, yeah, will we finish up with our roundup? Uh, Stay tuned for the website. Obviously, we'll end of the month. For next month's thing. Yeah, my pick for highlight the Inbetweeners 2 is coming out 6th of August. Can't wait. Um, you what did you tell me, Lucy Scarlett Johansson? Yeah, yeah, that seems interesting. Twenty second, but it August. seems isn't that the one where it's just like, didn't Bradley Cooper do this movie yeah. six months ago? Like, how short has the window for like? Didn't we see that film six months ago? No, that was no, different. What are you no, talking yeah, about? Yeah, look, nothing to see here. Scarlett Johansson, boobs. Uh, yeah. So directed by Luke Besson, who is very hit and miss, but uh, saw a trailer before Joe for the new Michelle Gondry film. Oh yeah, that's out this. Um, I think it's out Friday, maybe. In the mood, is it? it looks no. crazy. Yeah, got mixed kind of. Classic Audrey uh, tattoo film. Yeah, you know, quirk. Have we got the quirkometer? Can we put it up to eleven? <laughs> um, mood indigo. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, ah, it looks entertaining. Pretty. Yeah. Where did you see uh, Joe? Lighthouse. And I also, as we finish up, saw a four hour and ten minute film in the screen three of the lighthouse, or no, screen three of the IFI yesterday. Oh, you were in screen three, very good. It's Which like, is oh. nice, it's a perfect, because I was thinking before going to see it, I'd committed to go and see it, but I was like, oh, if this isn't screen two, it's going to be very annoying. Cause those, there's no leg room. Yeah, absolutely. there's no leg room. Yeah. You know, I would have needed an operation on my ass after it to I bring saw, it back to life. I saw the Terrence Malick uh, one, a new, The New World, mm. a new world in screen two of the IFI. Yeah. And yeah. I remember my just having being very crowded because it was really really hot. It was in the summer, whatever year yeah. that was. I think so, and um, went on a long time. But uh, what, what about Norte? What was the running time? Uh, two hundred and fifty minutes, and it actually was. I checked my phone at the end, and it was like nine minutes past eight, and I went into the cinema at four o'clock. Very uh, it's very good. It's very frustrating though because it's too much like real life. There's no conclusions to anything. Good people get shot on. Really bad people coast through life and it's kind of interesting because he'll do a thing where there's a 30 minute there's a 30 second shot of nothing and then the thing will happen the thing that he wanted to happen and then he'll stay on the same shot for about 30 seconds after it so if you had a good editor you could maybe make it into a two-hour film i would say but i suppose that would and massive things happen just one of the characters is killed at one point and the way we discover this is a plane has crashed but he is <clears throat> taking a shot of a motorway for, I'd say, two minutes and nothing happens. Just a motorway. And I, you, because you're kind of looking around, because Scorsese has this thing for Taxi Driver where he said, you leave the shot going for as long as possible. You kind of keep it. And his editors were always like, look, you got to cut away. It's just De Niro looking at a glass of a tablet dissolving. But the more you look at it, you kind of think, all right, what's going on in his head? So you think, so when he's doing this two-minute yeah, yeah, motorway shot, you're kind of looking at it and you're like, right, there's something here obviously going. Then the camera just pans over onto some gravel and there's a plane crash and there's loads of dead bodies. And you're like, all right, what's this? Someone's dead. And you only realize who's dead because of a piece of an artifact that you see. And it's a massive character and you're just like, right, that's it. It's working the brain. And it doesn't have any conclusive ending. Like, you know, when you go to see a film and you're like, oh, please don't end now. Please don't end now. I need to know if something has happened. And then it just goes to black and you're like, oh, God. But uh, it's 
I'd I'll definitely be thinking of it in weeks to come. You know, probably not film of the year, but very high four four and a half. That's impressive. Well, no, that's how many hours it was. Hey. Um, anyway, so we'll wrap up very quickly after this kind of rambly summer thing. Uh, we're away on holidays for a bit of a week, not together, but we're spool will close the doors for a while for the next kind of week and a bit, um, as we do every year. Um, and but we will wrap up with another summer classic. Uh, Stand by me. It's just a scene from it in our scene it thing, and this is the bit with the leeches in the thing, which is um a fantastic scene. Um, I saw this. Okay, always made me terrified as leeches when I was a boy and saw that film. I was like, oh god. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah. Here we are. We we'll see you next month. Bye bye. Sleeper hold. Sleeper hold. No one gets that. This sleeper hold. Vern, there's something on your neck. Yeah, right, I'm not falling for that one, the chance. No, Vern, there is something on your neck. It's a leech. Leeches! Oh, my God! Gordy, man, are you okay? Gordy, Gordy, Gordy. Can you hear me? Gordy, are you there? Maybe he's dead. He's not dead. He's still breathing, you idiot. Well, I don't know. Hey, hey, hey. It's cool, you guys. Just fainted. Gordy? God. I never met anybody who fainted before. Maybe he made a bad mistake and looked at your face. Shut up, Teddy. You okay, Gordy?